All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Holritz, and it is good to be here. Happy Monday to you. For those of you chiming in, uh, it's Monday, April 18th, and um, wow, I don't know. How was your weekend? Relaxing? Got to do something besides work? I hope so. Uh, ready to kick off this week, though, and there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. We're starting it with this podcast interview today, and I'm going to introduce our brand new guest here in just a second. For those of you that are live streaming, don't hesitate to jump into the conversation, ask questions, comment, whether you're at facebook.com slash Boca Podcast or youtube.com slash Boca Podcast. Join in the conversation. Don't be shy. And then for those of you that are streaming after the fact, listening to the audio version after the fact, don't hesitate to join us. In fact, if you follow us on Instagram at Boca Podcast, you can keep up to date with the latest upcoming live streams. So um, make sure to do that. Come join us for the conversation. We'd love to have you as part of the conversation. Already have a comment from Casey saying, great, weather is finally getting nice here in Colorado. Okay, so we're starting the conversation with <laughs> with weather today, I guess. Thanks for joining us, Casey. And um, before I introduce my guest, just one more quick reminder, and this is something that I promised you all I would do before every single episode I'm posting the receipt over on the, the bottom corner of my screen here to Charity Water. I made a donation to Charity Water today before the show. And this is something that I promised I would do before every episode. I'm just doing this as a means not only of accountability for my own sake, but also to encourage everybody listening in. Look for those opportunities to give back, whether it's to your local community, national, international organizations. It's amazing how far just a little bit of money can go in making a difference in someone's life. So look for those opportunities. All right. Enough the intro. Monologue. I want to introduce our brand new guest for today. I've got Tom. Tom Rousseau is with me. Tom, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Rousseau, is that yes. right? Yes. Okay. Rousseau. Okay. So I, I did that right. That's good. That's a good beginning to the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to hang out with me and working through all the tech issues. And, and uh, I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation today. I'm looking forward to this. Same here. I think this is something that a lot of people don't necessarily quite understand um, hmm. in, in comes to uh, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, yeah, the weather's uh, okay here in uh, Philadelphia. It's uh, cloudy, going to rain. So thank you for the Colorado weather update. Uh, <laughs> I, I know what it's like in Colorado, but uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, I'm going to do, sometimes I get excited and and jump into the conversation with our guests. And it looks like when, like anytime I make a noise, it's cutting off your audio. So I'm going to try to stay as quiet as possible um, today. I shouldn't interrupt anyway, but um, I don't, don't feel as though I'm being robotic in our conversation. I'll let you finish what you're saying and then we'll keep going. We were having, running to a little bit of tech issues to break the fourth wall here for everybody listening and before we get started. So forgive us for the delay. And we're going to try to make this work as, as best as possible. And again, for those of you live streaming with us, don't hesitate to jump in, comment, ask questions. We're going to be talking about storytelling, and more specifically, Tom's approach to storytelling on a wedding day uh, as a photographer. And I'm really curious to get into this. It's not something that I really thought about as a wedding photographer as much. And so I'm curious to get your perspective on that, Tom. Before we do that, though, a few questions. And uh, let's actually start with brand position. And while we're doing this, I'm going to pull up your website. And for anybody listening in, uh, or for those of you that are streaming with us, if you go to Tom Russo, T-O-M-R-U-S-S-O photography.com, got it pulled up here on the screen and, uh, Tom introduce yourself, introduce your brand, if you will, and let us know what your brand position is. Yeah. So hi guys. Uh, my name is Tom Russo, uh, from Tom Russo photography. I am based, <clears throat> excuse me, in New Jersey. 
Uh, I live close near to Philadelphia. I'm right outside uh, over the Ben Franklin Bridge, actually. My fiance and I live here in Collingswood. Um, yeah, I started the company officially like three years ago. Uh, we got into weddings heavily through, you know, working really hard through the pandemic uh, and just gearing up for what was one of the busiest seasons, which was last year, and now really taking a giant leap into the 2022 season. Um, yeah, we just love what we do. We have some fun and we capture the best of the weddings and the best detail possible. And mm. what lends to a great story is the detail, ideally. The detail. Okay. I, I need to jot that. I kind of do old school note taking during these podcast interviews. So I'm going to jot that word down. We're going to come back to that, that word detail in just a little bit. Talk to me about brand position, though. This is something we discuss quite a bit here on the Boca podcast. There are a lot of photographers out there, and there are mm. different ways that we can set ourselves apart from the competition, but one of those ways is by having a distinct brand position, right. brand position statement. And if, if you were to sum that up, like in a sentence, what differentiates you from the photographers in your market? I mean, one sentence uh, for me, for those who do know me, is not easy to do, but uh, one sentence I would say is that we're able to capture uh, and tell the story of a wedding day uh, in the most unique uh, and timeless and classic way. Uh, mm. I, I get a lot of feedback from our co clients and our couples and even, you know, on the initial call that we set up with them. And a lot of it is, you know, your work is timeless and classic, and that's what we go for. You know, when you look back at the wedding photos 25, 30 years from now, you can say, oh, you know, our wedding photographer was great. Our wedding was great because they were able to capture it in such a timeless and classic way. And that's what we do. That's what we strive to do. You know, we have a full team of people here at TRP that we send out every weekend. Um, and that's my biggest thing with our team is make sure you're capturing it in the greatest detail possible, as well as being timeless and classic. Cool. Okay. So I want to transition from that then to a question about client experience mm -hmm. and, you know, and in the wedding photography world, in fact, the professional photography world. Now we know that just taking a pretty picture doesn't do the trick. There are a lot of people that can do that. We can do that with a phone for, for that matter. Right. So experience matters. I'm curious what big idea is driving the client experience that you're creating for your clients. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would sum it up in three words, trust, communication, and commitment. Um, that's what I live every day by, uh, building a clientele pool that you can gain trust easily off the first call. Uh, you know, you stay committed to each and every one of them, uh, and you are communicating with them throughout the entire process. You know, we as photographers, we try to do everything we can. We, we take on as much as we can. We, we literally won't sleep for weeks. Um, and you know, it's keeping that line of communication open. And even if someone reaches out to you six months before their wedding or six months before their shoot asking you a question, it's okay not to answer that couple or that person right away. But keeping that open line of communication is key. Uh, building trust is a lot of things, one of the things a lot of photographers don't do or forget to do or don't realize that they're not doing. Um, and then staying committed to each and every one of them. Uh, you know, it's hard to manage 50 plus weddings, 60 plus weddings a year, when you have other people on your team and you're able to, you know, and we're going to go into this in a little bit, um, but you're know, delegating, uh, you know, two different people and just being able to focus on what's the most important. Um, and I mean, I push those three terms with my team and, you know, with myself every single day building the business, you know, starting over three years ago, you know, to where we are now, it was because I was trust, I trusted I had people trust me hmm. and then I had an open line of communication. 
That's good. Okay, so and I, again, taking notes old school with my notebook here, but trust, <laughs> communication, and commitment. And it's interesting how those concepts kind of they they play off of each other. Like mm-hmm. if you're communicating really well, it helps build trust, right? If there's proactive communication, proactive expectation management, it helps build a sense of trust. They the, the client knows they can relax that you're going to take care of them, and that also shows a certain amount of commitment to their experience as well. So it's interesting how those all kind of interplay. And I think these are really powerful principles for everyone to keep in mind. You said communication is, I think you said it was um, communication is something that, that photographers don't, don't normally do that much, it's, did you say? It's that and, and building the trust. Okay. Um, and why do you think, think that is? Like what, what, what is keeping them from doing that more proactively? I mean, there's two things. It's lack of brand position. And it's uh, lack of there's three things. Okay, let's there's three: lack of brand position, lack of consistency in their work, and then them not being who they truly are on that initial Zoom call or client or in person sales meeting. Um, a lot of things that I've learned over the years is that you need to be yourself and calm the calm people's fears, answer all their questions, and allow them to just say, okay, I, I trust this person. And a lot of people, I think that they're too wrapped up in booking that wedding, closing that sale, doing whatever they need to do to get to that stage that they forget about that stuff. The last thing that I worry about is making the money. The money will come. I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about, do these people trust me enough to capture the day? Do they trust me in a way that I can tell their story? I can give them the greatest detail. Um, and then, you know, that allows for that open communication. And, you know, when the people walk away from their wedding day and they get their final gallery and their albums, they can refer you. And they always have positive things to say, like, you know, that he was great to trust. She was great to, to work with, you know, you can trust that they're going to get this done. And, and that's kind of, I think a lot of things that people miss is that they need to trust. They need to gain the trust, stay committed, be communicative before that they can actually, you know, book the sale or book the wedding. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and I have to say, too, I mean, I haven't known you very long, Tom. You and I had the chance to meet at a workshop not too long ago. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say that just from the, even then, for those couple of days that we hung out, getting to meet and have conversation with you, you you did just that. You're, you're a great communicator. Um, I know you said you like to talk, and so do I, too. I have to be careful, too, to kind of cut, cut back a little bit. But it, I think a willingness to, to engage with somebody just naturally um, where it's not forced, it's not robotic. You just want to connect with somebody. People can sense that and oh, yeah. it helps set them at ease right away. <clears throat> There's also, I mean, you talk about a, uh, or I think you were kind of alluding to this idea of being genuine as well. And that's definitely something that I felt from you as well. I didn't feel like I was getting one version of you that you might be something else another time. You were very consistent in that. And again, whether it's in personal relationships or professional relationships, it's huge. Uh, oh, I, I think it's so easy in, in modern day age. That, that sounds kind of, I sound like an old man, modern day 2022 <laughs> culture though, seriously, especially with social media yeah. to like to put on one face here and then another face here. And right. I just don't, I don't really see the purpose in that. Um, in most cases. It, it, it's funny you bring that up because that's, I think what a lot of people are 
not doing is they're not being a genuine person. I, I know I have said to, you know, colleagues of mine and, and friends of mine that say, you know, there are just, it's just unfortunate. There are some people in this industry who are just not cut out for it. And it's not because they don't know how to shoot or they don't have the talent. It's because they're not a people person. You know, that's one of the things that when I was in school, I actually have a degree in music education. Uh, believe it or not, I played music for you know, 12 plus years and I just felt like it wasn't for me. So I got into wow. the, the industry. Yeah. It's something most people don't know about me. What uh, do you I play? Keep... Well, I was a saxophone player. I was a clarinet player. Um, I did it. I played saxophone from the time I was like 12 years old all the way till I graduated college at 22. So I did it for over 10 years. Um, and I played clarinet. I was in every marching band, high school band, yeah. college I was in it all. And, you know, it was, I felt like that was going to hinder me in later in life with, you know, wanting to be interacting with people. I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to do any of that to deal with all the higher up stuff. So I went into photography and running a business. And, you know, when it comes to being you and genuine and, and opening up to people and see, being vulnerable, and that's another big thing a lot of people miss is being vulnerable. Um, it's a lot of stuff that I talk about uh, with, you know, my colleagues and, you know, even some people that I mentor. Uh, you have to be you. Be authentic to you. You know, I always use the example of, you know, if you're going to go to Chinatown in New York City or Chinatown in Philadelphia, you're looking for that authentic Chinese food, right? You're not looking for, you know, uh, a Panda Express. Um, and that's just kind How of what... How dare you? Panda is so good, man. Come on. <laughs> Get Come that teriyaki on. chicken and the white... Oh, it's so good. No, I'm just it kidding. It is really good. No, it, I agree. <laughs> no, it I is good. But I get what you're you saying. Know. I get what you're saying for sure. You know, and, and that's, it, it's, it's just, it lends to being, it just lends not to being you, authenticity and all these words that you hear. And when you put it in the perspective of gen, like food, it registers with every single person you talk to. And that's another mark I think some people miss too. Well, yeah, I think we've gotten really obsessed in our culture with this idea of authenticity. And, and I'm, I think it, the word, first of all, is so, it's overused at this point that that it probably is watered down a little bit. And I, I don't quite know when like one person says authenticity, what that means to them versus another person. But I, I think at the very least, because I, I've been in the industry now for about 20 years and started when the industry was still at that place where, you know, you, we were in the yellow pages, for goodness sakes, like our business is listed in the yellow pages. And there was a certain sense of professionalism that you had to maintain and interacting with your clients. And we're way past that, not just in the industry, but in our culture now. And there's less of a need to put, again, put on a face for the sake of engaging with somebody. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, I think we can start there. It, it, like, let's start, stop trying to put on a front for one person versus another. I mean, there's nothing wrong with maintaining a certain sense of professionalism. At the very least, just you were talking about earlier, this, the significance of, of commitment, managing your right. time and showing up and maybe even a bit early and um, just doing the basic stuff. But outside of that, this idea that we have to put on some front for the sake of engaging with our clients, I think is... Uh, just a major misnomer at this point. I don't really know what the actual benefit of it is. And Dawn actually on Facebook has commented. She said, I've noticed that for some photographers, it's all about the money and not about the client as a person who has a memory or a special day they want us to capture. And that is so much more than making money. And yeah, Dawn, it sounds like you're very much um, in line with what Tom is saying as well. It starts with the client. I think there is photographers have been so obsessed with the, the so-called art and the craft mm -hmm. for so long. And there's a lot of talk about that and a lot of ego associated with that. And there, it obviously matters to a point, but I think we need to get back to a focus on serving our clients. And it starts, as you're pointing out, Tom, with focusing on a genuine relationship. I think that's really important. 
Right. And, you know, you use that term, a screen say, warrior or whatever that people use. And, and that's the other problem. You know, people are not afraid to say something or post something because they know that, you know, they're typing it. They don't actually have to, they don't actually have to come out and say it. And then you, that, but that also, then you actually go into person and they can't do it. So that translates to your sales calls. That translates to your everyday life. You know, if mm. you be who you truly are, how can you turn around and, and say, well, you know, we're going to be there on the day of, and, you know, we promise you this, we promise you that, and then you can't deliver because you don't know who you truly are. And that's another thing that I worked on heavily was finding out who I am, where I stand, and where is my place. Stay within that barrier. Because if you try to become someone you're not, well, everything that we talk about and we try to be, and you're always asking these questions, just goes out the window. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's a lot that you really can go deep into and, you know, we could be here for two hours talking about. <laughs> well, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say, actually, I, I know we do have a lot to get to, but I want to park here for just a second because I am yeah. curious about this. When, when you, when you talk about being who you are, what is, mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Again, a lot of people say that and, and it's tied to this topic of authenticity, but right. to you, Tom, what does that mean to be who you are? Uh, it just, who I am with my family, with my fiance, and then my clients. Just be the same person. Accept the flaws that you have. Accept the way that you work. And for those who, you know, for me, for those who can't accept me for who I am, well, don't change for one person. You know, you change for a lot of different reasons. You change for you. Um, it's also self-reflection is another big thing. Self-reflect on situations that you maybe encountered or how you handled it. Also open, be very, like I said, vulnerable and open is another great way to, uh, to, to a, helping you just grow. Um, you know, I was this nerdy band kid in high school who in college and even elementary school who tried to make as many friends as possible because he needed to fit in. And then you graduate and those 50 friends that you had in college or however many friends you had in college, maybe more than that, they would drop off to be two or three because those two or three people are understanding who you are and, and take you take awareness of who you are. And, and that's why I'm always open to allowing people to be themselves, you know, be who you truly want to be. And then from there, those who don't like who you are, well, then they, that means that they don't need to be in your life and vice versa. Sure. Um, I, I guess, I guess where I, what I have a hard time with when it comes to this conversation <laughs> about being who we are is, is a lot of times the conversation stops at, well, who they are, right? This mm -hmm. take a personality test and Enneagram tests and they get a number or they get a type. And then people just kind of embrace that title and say, this is who I am. And I think mm -hmm. it, from my personal experience in life and, and what I'm continuing to try to work through for myself is if, if this idea of who I am is static, then it's highly limiting. Right. I could be, in fact, it's so funny that you mentioned being kind of the geek in, in high school and, you know, playing saxophone and clarinet. I actually did the same thing. I actually minored, I had a classical performance minor in college for a bit with clarinet. I played soprano saxophone as well. And I don't think I realized that, that we had that connection. That's pretty awesome. My son's <laughs> yeah. actually a, a jazz saxophone major at uh, University of Tennessee at Knoxville now as well. So um, I, I very much love that world. But, you know, these are, we, we take on certain behaviors or behavioral patterns and those behaviors can change. We can make a choice to change a behavior, whether it's we're playing an instrument or not, 
or we're talking in a particular way when we engage with our clients or not, or we engage with our partner, fiance, wife, or whoever, or not. Like we, we make these decisions at the end of the day. So the idea that we quote unquote, who are who we are, and somebody kind of either has to accept that or not accept that, or we're going to be that, <clears throat> we're just going to be that person. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't feel like it's, a, it's that simple because I think there's opportunity to make changes to ourselves, to learn, to improve, to grow. And I may be a, I may have particular behavioral patterns right now, but hopefully I'm continuing to develop what you were talking about earlier, that self-awareness so that not just as an individual, but also as a business owner, I continue to get better. That's where mm -hmm. I have a hard time about it with this idea of authenticity and who we are, because I don't think it's a static thing or it doesn't have to be. I think for a lot of people, it, it becomes a static thing. I think it can be dynamic. I think it can change if we choose to take that responsibility on. What are your thoughts on that? I 100% agree. Um, you know, there are people, <clears throat> excuse me, there are people who are still stuck in the, the collegiate party days and they're in their late 20s and their early 30s and they're complaining that they don't have a job and they don't have a, a partner in life. And that's what I mean by being you and self-awareness and like you said, growing and changing. Um, you change, you should never change in the negative way. You should always change in a positive way. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and it should be something that you are aware of even if you're, I mean, seeking professional help with a therapist or, I mean, I do, I, I, I'll admit it. Like I talk to a therapist every week or every month and it's the greatest thing I ever did five years ago. You know, I decided, listen, I, I feel really lost and I don't know where I want to be in life and what I need to do. And just having someone there to talk to that it doesn't have a biased opinion, doesn't really know you and will get to know you. And I don't mean like, you know, you hear people like, oh, I'm going to move to, the West Coast or in the West Coast case, I'm going to move to the East Coast and start fresh and be someone else who I wasn't before. And that's not always the case. You can't always do that. That's not something you can just flip a switch in your head and say, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, a truck driver uh, and then I'm going to be a businessman when I move out to the other state. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you got to, there's little things you have to change in your life in order to get to that specific uh, job, you know? Well, and, and moving somewhere, you still have to take yourself there, right? So you still got to deal with yourself, your shortcomings, right. your questions, your doubts, your fears. That doesn't go away because we go to a different place. I, I'm like anybody else who likes a fresh start, even if it means like my house is a little, I, I'm a little weird, but I, I, I like to clean the house and I like to see the results of that cleaning. And it feels like a fresh start, right? But none of the kind of outward appearance whether I'm moving to a different state or I'm just cleaning my house, none of that changes what's going on in here. And that's what we have to kind of take ownership and responsibility for. And, and I, I know, like you said, we could spend a couple hours talking about this, but I just wanted to go there for a second because I just, I hear so much, I read so much online and, and through our industry even specifically right. about this idea of being ourselves or not being ourselves, be authentic. And I think, I don't know, I think there's just some misconception, misnomers, or at least short-sighted thought processes as it relates to this idea of being ourselves that are quite limiting. Because I think at the end of the day, in fact, what I do personally, um, and this is just me, I know different people have different approaches to this, but I have a list of values that I review basically a daily basis. And it, there are 11 values. And these values, it doesn't mean that I live them perfectly, but I'm actively not only keeping them literally in front of me so that I'm, I'm looking at them, reviewing them, thinking about what they mean, how that relates to my life, but I'm, I'm doing so on a daily basis for the sake of working toward 
being that that thing consistently. If they if somebody thinks back to you know knowing me for any period of time, and and they can list even three or four of those values. Nate Nate was you know this 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 and this. Then I feel like I've done my job. I'm trying to be a better human being for certainly for myself, but for the people closest to me, and then my bigger, broader audience and, and connections and friendships in the industry and, and beyond. And I want to make an impact on people's lives positively through that. But that's me proactively deciding this is the person I want to be. I'm not out doing this. You know, we, we, we hear this phrase a lot, like trying to find ourselves as though like we're going to reach some finish line and we're going to know when we got to that thing. We're like, oh man, I found myself, you know, right. I don't, I don't, again, I don't know what that means. And I think we have a tendency in culture to throw these phrases around without really thinking about what they right. mean um, or even just whether or not they're logical. And, and, and <laughs> like, what I would just encourage everybody to do, and again, I know we could keep going, but just for the sake of, of brevity at this point, I would encourage everybody listening in and watching. And by the way, we have a number of streaming. Y'all don't hesitate to jump in and, and comment and join the conversation, but I would encourage you to look or to make a decision about the person that you want to be. It's not about finding something. You're mm -hmm. never going to reach a finish line or, you know, trumpets are going to sound in the background when you find yourself, you got to make a decision about who you want to be and then do the work, put the work in to be that thing. And I think that's a way more productive um, and certainly more fulfilling way to approach life at the end of the day. So Tom, I appreciate you kind of indulging me on that. I know it's a big topic and not necessarily photography related, although that's okay. Again, I would say that our industry talks quite a bit about this. I think it's important that we get into it from time to time. Speaking of time, um, <laughs> just briefly, if you will, tell me a little bit about I guess the big idea driving your effort at time management. You mentioned your fiance earlier. You've got a personal life. You've got a professional life. I know that they a lot of times mix, but how are you finding some sort of balance so you don't get burnout working all the time, making time for the important people in your life and, and other things you want to do besides be in front of a computer? Yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to two things. I mean, it's, you know, it's discipline and, and dedication. Um, you know, you have to dedicate your time there's there's a time and place where you need to say, honey, babe, I need to, you know, do the work. I, I'm sorry, I have to work tonight and, and, and de designate and delegate some time to, you know, getting some work done. But it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, this will get done tomorrow. That's what I used to not do. Uh, I used to be the person where I was working 15 hours straight. Uh, and it wasn't like I was doing anything fancy. I was in front of a computer getting work done 15 hours straight, building the business. Yes. In the beginning, sure. It's your, you may pull a 15 hour day building your business and working on different aspects and getting your editing style down, working on your website, writing some copy, answering emails, editing photos. You know, there's a ton of things that we do as photographers that most people don't think that we can or will do. So it's taking the time to do it. Take some time for yourself. It will be there when you get back. The clients, <laughs> when you say, hey, I'm away in Disney World like I just was last week. Uh, I'm, a, I'm away on vacation. I'm taking some time. I was away for three weeks straight, actually. I came home for actually, came home for six days. I shot a wedding and then we went out again and we were on a cruise. Then we were away, home and then we were away again. But those were the three weeks I That's needed awesome. those. Now, when I got home. Was it hard to get back into it? Absolutely, hundred percent. It's so difficult to get yourself back into that, you know, that that routine. But you just have to know when enough's enough. You know, if it's getting up every day and starting your day at eight fifteen a.m. and ending your day by five thirty p.m. every day for six months straight, getting yourself into that routine, then do it. That's exactly what I did. I had to say to myself, how am I going to manage a personal life 
and a business life. What do I need to do? And it's creating a schedule, sticking to it, allotting certain times of the day to do certain things, and then see time yourself. See how fast you can get something done without you know ruining the quality of it. Um, and then you'll start to see where your windows of time are. To, to hanging out with your family or going on vacation or, you know, the beauty about what we do as photographers, who especially ones who run their own business, and this is all that we do, you make your schedule. You are the one who can say, I'm going to take a three-week vacation and no one's going to worry about it because this is what I want to do. That's what I love about one of the, one of the things I love about running my own business is I'm able to go on vacation obviously when it makes the most sense. I'm not going to go on vacation in the middle of May. That's just stupid. Um, but, you know, for me at least, because that's my busiest time of the year, but going away on vacation in January for two and a half, three weeks, or going uh, on vacation in the month of August, or just taking a staycation, you have the freedom to do that. So not only can you control your schedule, but you also, when you have a busy schedule, it's just saying, it'll be there when I get back take a break. Well, and you made an interesting statement there that I think has kind of broad reaching significance. And that is that we make our own schedule and it, and it may seem like a simplistic idea and somebody listening in, they're like, yeah, of course, of course we do. But I would even push that person and say, but do you actually though, like, do you actually take ownership for the fact that that calendar on your phone, on your computer, that that is yours to make and you can make the decision about how you are spending time. I, the, there's a phrase that people say that just drives me crazy. And they, they say, I'm, I'm busy or I was busy. And granted, we may in some situations actually be busy, but at the end of the day, mm -hmm. we make time for what we want to make time for. And that's the simple of it. And, and like, I would dare anybody to try to argue with me otherwise. We make these choices for ourselves. And again, it goes back to that idea of responsibility, whether it's responsibility for the person that we want to make of ourselves or in this case, time, the way that we manage time and more specifically how we manage that calendar, what we block off, the time we make not only for work, but for the important people in our lives, for taking a break, for going on an adventure, going on a cruise, go to Disney. I mean, that sounds like <laughs> incredible stuff. So oh, yeah. I, I love that you're making that happen and even taking a lot of time to do that. When we talk about time management, one of the most important components of time management as a business owner is delegation. Delegating a task or a series of tasks to somebody else or to another company so that they are helping you, they're going to help helping support your workload in running your business. Is this something that you've experimented with in your, in your business? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you ask anybody who knows me really well, um, for example, uh, Christora Osters, uh, for those who know her from Green Apple Photography, she's one of my best friends. She actually and just, she gave you a shout out on uh, oh, YouTube. She did. Yeah. There What's she up, is. What's up, Christora? <laughs> um, so anyways, this is fitting. So Christora said to me once um, that you need to outsource your editing. And I said, you are just batshit crazy. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> she was like, no, you seriously need to do that because that's going to be the first step to you uh, actually having a life back. Uh, this was over a year ago and i and i, I did uh, that was the first thing i delegated and then i went and i delegated social media and i delegated videography i delegated copywriting i delegated almost everything except for emails engagement session edits and shooting i mean i shoot most of my stuff but i have a team that shoots for me uh, it is the greatest thing i ever did for those who want to delegate do it it is wonderful. You get so much time back. It's crazy. Now, when it comes to delegating, though, I feel that you have to trust those who will uphold your brand. Only if you know what your brand is. 
both visually and non-visually. A lot of people don't know what that is. If I turn around and say to somebody, hey, what are your core values? What is your how, your what, and your why of your golden circle of branding? They have no clue. They think they know. And if they do, great. I mean, that's awesome. But a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that until about three years ago. And it, over time, your brand will evolve. Your, your, um, your core values, they will change or they may not change or they'll change slightly. Um, you know, it, it's, it's being able to delegate in a way that people are able to follow. You know, when I hired social media manager and coordinator, I had to sit there with them and show them how I ran things and what I looked for when it came to social media and how to grow it. I mean, hiring that position, I grew 50% in the business, maybe more at this point. And it's just because I was able to delegate and have people actually take the time to dedicate to that specific aspect of my business. And then with editing, I got so much time back to myself because I'm not sitting here culling and, and renaming and sorting and then editing and exporting. I'm not, I've taken a huge chunk out of my, my workflow and delegated it to somebody else. Now, granted, the way that that works is you know your brand, you know what, what editing style you use, and you use presets. That's, that's it. I mean, whether you like to use presets or not, it allows for consistency in your brand. It allows for people to trust. They know what they're going to get out of you. That goes back to the trust thing we spoke about earlier. And you can outsource. It's the greatest thing ever. Um, and then as long as you are able to do all those things in a clear and concise way, that's it. Like That's all you need to do is understand yourself and your business before you can delegate to others. Yeah, you, you mentioned or you described probably one of the most, if not the most significant elements of the process of, in the process of delegation, which is to be clear about what you represent, certainly as a brand, but then what you want. If you don't know what you want, you're going to have a nightmare of a time handing something to somebody else and asking them to do it because you won't be clear in your communication. And there'll be a lot of confusion back and forth as you're trying to work through with this other person or this company, what it is that you're even wanting in the first place, because you're not clear about that. So I'm, I'm really glad that you highlight that because it is so, so important mm -hmm. for anybody who doesn't know who's listening. And I own a company called Photographers Edit, and we've been working with photographers now for close to 15 years. And one of the most frustrating experiences, not just for us, but certainly for the photographer, when they try to outsource their editing to us is when they aren't sure about what it is that they actually want. So they may right. want us to do one thing here and then another thing here, but then they're frustrated here. And our team's like, but, but wait, you said this. And, you know, and there's just, there's a lot of confusion and frustration that happens as a result. We have to be super clear. It's not about being fancy and you may have to change things along the way. And that's part of the process of delegation, but you have to be clear about what it is that you're looking for up front in order to effectively delegate. I'm really glad that you highlight that. It's super important. And um, man, I, this is probably another place that we could kind of park for a little bit. And because, you know, communication is a really big element of that delegation process as well. And I'm sure you could speak to that, Tom. Maybe we can come back and do another episode on that at some point. But it's a, great. your first recommendation to be clear about what it is you want is just golden. And for anybody listening in, whether you're outsourcing administrative tasks or editing or album design or accounting, whatever it is, be super clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish up front. That'll make a massive, massive difference. Um, one last question here before we get into kind of our primary topic today, talking about your your style, your approach to storytelling and wedding photography. Right. I'm curious, you seem like a type that that does a lot of reading. Do you read a lot? I don't. Do you I not? Okay. No. Well, so rather than normally I ask about a favorite business book or self-help book, maybe it's a podcast or even 
even a particular source of education, because especially being relatively new in business, I, I mean, you're a super intelligent guy just from my interactions with you. I know you've crammed a lot, like you've taken in a lot of information in a very short amount of time. Have there been one or two particular sources of information that have been especially helpful that you might be able to suggest to our listeners? Yeah. Um, school tube. It's a great thing ever. School tube. School uh, YouTube. tube. See, I call it, I call it school tube. Okay. It's YouTube. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just a term I, I, I've heard many times and that's what I call it. Uh, yeah. YouTube's great guys. Um, I mean, honestly, I am a firm believer is that you don't need a piece of paper to tell you, you could take a photo. It's plain and simple. Um, you know, I firm also firm believer that people have natural talent for things that they that in their field uh, that they get into, whether it's a, a, a you know a, an architect or a, you know or a web designer or a photographer or a, a bowler. You know, you can learn anything that you set your mind to do. But I, I mean, I, it was me it was YouTube um, doing styled shoots uh, was the greatest thing. Learning technical aspects because. It's hard. I should. It is hard. But you shouldn't be learning a new technique on a wedding day, on an engagement session, uh, at a family shoot. Uh, you know, at whatever photography you guys are into, uh, as far as you know what you, your niche is and where your brand stands. So YouTube styled shoots. Uh, honestly, even listening to Boca podcast. You know, when I came into the industry, uh, you know, three years ago, um, I listened to Jordan Crisis's, um episode. And I was like, man, that that's such a good podcast. And I would just go back and forth and back and forth and listen to episodes and, and listen to people like you had a guest on the show once uh, that talked about Planoly. Uh, I discovered it. It was helped my business through social media, just scheduling posts and, and you know, and then just talking to others, uh, other professionals in the in the industry and interacting with them and, and picking their brain and just, you know, soaking it all in, be a sponge. Uh, it's okay to not know everything. Uh, you just have to make sure that you stay, you know, keep yourself and keep yourself in line. I call it the humble check. Uh, stay humble. Always want to learn and grow because then you'll be able to learn more faster. You'll be able to see your um, your work, you know, skyrocket. You know, Christor and I talk about this too. Is we said that um, you know every time that we come together in person with our group of friends. Our work just goes to the next level. It's because not only are you shooting with people of the same intellectual intellectual level as you, but you're also learning something um, that they know that you don't know or that you know that they don't know or aren't as good at. So you're able to then pick their brain because not only are you shooting with them, but you're hanging out with them and you over dinner conversation and you're able to just just get as much knowledge as you can. I'm all self-taught. Everything I've done has been hands-on, out in the field, done it, tried it. If I failed, I fixed it and figured out how to do it again. Um, I mean, that's that's really what it takes is just I – mean, really, I mean, I don't read. So YouTube was my best friend for years and, and taking business courses and just talking to people. That's how you do it essentially. But I, I'm hearing the the theme there, which is curiosity. It's funny. I Literally just this morning on my Instagram story, I, I posted, be curious. And this mm -hmm. is something I've been reminded of even in the last couple of months. I mean, certainly as individuals, as human beings, being curious, genuinely curious, wanting to learn something new or wanting to learn more helps minimize that sense of e ego. And again, the, the tendency to be static, to like get set in our ways. And this is how I do it. And this is how I think. And there is nothing else. Um, I was around way too much of that in, in, in my life. And uh, it's exhausting and it's highly limiting in many ways. 
And so being curious, certainly as individuals, makes us better human beings, makes us more interesting conversationalists, right. um, makes us way better to be in any kind of relationship with. But then when it comes to business, maintaining that level of curiosity is super, super important. And especially with the way that culture continues to change and evolve, uh, and our industry does as well, if, we, if our curiosity is minimized, if we're not open to new ideas, if we're not exploring the next thing, we're going to limit ourselves and our ability to grow potentially as business owners as well. So I think the curiosity piece is huge. And shout out to Jordan. I'm, I'm pulling this up here on our live stream. For anybody who's not live streaming with us, if you go back to episode 428 and then 214 prior to that, we had Jordan Caresses on. Um, and uh, Tom was just referring to Jordan. Jordan's a mutual friend of ours. And um, you can go listen to those episodes, episode 428 and episode 214 as well. And yeah, Jordan, speaking of, of wealth information, that is that is Jordan as well. Super yeah. intelligent, super driven business owner. I, I want to go ahead and jump into our topic. I mean, we're already 45 minutes in, so we're gonna have to <laughs> we're gonna have to move here. But Sounds but I, I want to talk about um, f- first of all, I, I guess this idea of storytelling. When right. when you talk about the words sto- or when we say the word storytelling or telling a story as a photographer. This is something that is, it's not a new concept in our industry. We've heard various people talk about it, but when you hear that word story, how do you define that for yourself? Details. It's plain and simple. Um, Telling it in the greatest detail possible from beginning to end and knowing where the beginning is and where it ends. You know, a lot of, a lot of times photographers will say, oh, I'm, I'm only there for eight hours. Okay what are you telling in those eight hours? Or I, I've met with photographers that have a package that's six hours and it's a full, it's like full day wedding, two photographers for six hours. I'm like, okay, but what are you telling in those six hours? What story are you telling? Are you cutting off the prologue of the day and starting at the ceremony and ending at the reception? Are you starting off with the prep and you're skipping five chapters and you're going on to you know the, the, the ceremony and then the reception and you're cutting it at chapter eight when the book is 12 chapters? You know, it's you as the photographer, if this is all you do working a 12 hour day once or twice a weekend shouldn't be an issue for you. You think about it, right? So if you have 50 weddings, okay, a season, for example, like I have more than that, I want to admit, but I have about 65 this season, Wow, um, which is crazy to think, right? And so if you put that in perspective of someone who works a nine to five, Okay, they work nine to five, eight hours a day, or even if they work, uh, you know, four days a week, 10 hours a day. Okay, they're working every week, four days a week at 10 hours a day, 40 hours a week. You as a business owner, physically out there shooting, if you're doing three days a weekend at eight hours a day, you're only working 24 hours. If you so so if you put that in perspective, if you were to just drop everything you do, quit your quit your business, drop it all, and just say I'm going to go get a full time job, nine to five, or you know whatever the hours are the day, you're going to end up working more times out of the year than you would if you own the business. So that's what kind of makes me like a little frustrated with certain people that don't see it in that perspective is, if you are willing to take on 50 weddings a season for example, or even 30 weddings a season for most people that, you know, want to keep it kind of relatively, you know, you know, smaller on the seasons on the amount of weddings you shoot. And you're only working eight hours a day, right? Why? Why are you only working eight hours? Why are you not staying and or being there to tell that story? 
in the greatest detail possible. We worked a wedding uh, a couple weeks ago, and the bride was more set on her portraits with the groom than anything else, or which is fine. And then later in the day, we came to find out all she really wanted to care about about was the partying and the food and the drinking. Cool, as most people do on the wedding day. Well, she skipped over family portraits because she wanted to get to other things. I said, okay, I mean, that's what, if that's not important to you, that's fine. But in my head and from experience, I know that family, por family portraits are not only a part of the day and cr create that story, but it's something everybody wants. So I made it a point to make sure that we captured that because when I deliver that full gallery in two months, and she, she comes back to me and says, well, where are my family portraits? I can say, well, here they are because I took them, you know, later in the night at, at the reception. So it's, it's about telling the day from the start of the details with your flat lays or however you guys photograph details all the way till either the sparkler exit or the last dance or, you know, if it's just dancing throughout the night, trying to, you know, capture every drunken moment or every awesome moment of the little kids and the grandparents. And that's the other thing a lot of people miss is they don't think about everyone else outside the bride and groom. I've noticed that. So my second shooter, her, his or her responsibility is during the entrances, you're capturing candid moments of the guests around you. Uh, during the, 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 um, even the ceremony, I'm focused on them. You're going to focus on the family and, and the make sure you get the parents and the grandparents and the siblings. Because I read this once and it's so, so, so true. You very well could be the last person to take a photo of someone's grandparent. You hold that memory in your hands. Mm -hmm. And that's so key to telling the story. You know, I'm okay with 200 candid moments of people just laughing and interacting because that helps tell the story. A lot of our couples, when they come to us, they say, you know, we love your work because X, Y, Z. And one of the things that they say is we love that everything looks natural. It's not posed. Uh, and, and that has a, there's a lot that can go into that. You can really expand on what the definitions of each of those mean. But for us, it's, we do that because we want it to feel genuine. We want it to feel like you were getting, you were seeing everything that you didn't, that you couldn't see on the day. So, you know, we have people in different places where we're capturing grandma's reaction of the bride uh, walking down the aisle, or we're capturing Uncle John's reaction of him laughing to when his son, who's the best man, decided to crack a joke about the groom. It's those moments that some people actually do end up missing that really enlighten, or I should say enhance the story of the wedding day and how we approach the overarching uh, hours of the day with the story that we tell. So I'm, I'm curious just to get, I'm, I'm going to be a, an, a good interviewer here and just push back, play a little devil's advocate. Cause I've, I've heard sure. the idea. I mean, certainly of story. I was a wedding photographer for over 10 years myself. I've been in the industry right. for about 20 now. And the idea of story is not a new one. I get the mm -hmm. sense that maybe your approach is, is a little bit different. Would you say, but when, you, when you're talking about how photographers that you've noticed or observed have not paid as much attention, for example, to the interactions between family or maybe guests, mm -hmm. is that a common thing? Are you seeing a lot of, of that tendency? A lot, yeah. A lot is the more focus than... more just to like fancy pictures of the bride and groom, stylized pictures of the bride and groom? Is is that kind of what you're getting at? I think I think that's what you see most of the time. You know, I... I've seen and I've interviewed and I've worked, I've, I've tried to, you know, look at as many photographers' portfolios as possible. And I mean, yes, everyone posts the best of the best photos. I mean, you go on our website, it's mainly just portraits of the bride and groom and the, and the, and the, um, 
you know, the individual photos of each of them. That's what they, that's what the bride and groom want to see, right? So like I've interviewed, you know, photographers for our team and I've looked at people's works and mentoring and, and, and doing some coachings and I've done a lot of stuff, right? And you look at the gal, if you look at a full gallery of someone who is maybe, you know, still learning and stuff like that or who are say, I'm the best at this and I want you to see my portfolio. And I go through it and there's nothing else there but a ton of like bride and groom dancing photos for the reception. And there's a ton of, you know, just portraits uh, or just the two of them. You have two angles of the same thing at the at the ceremony where it's like you're one person's in the center, the other person's on the other side and you get that angle and that's it. You know, it's, it's just that it's not okay. That person who's on the side angle has turned around and captured all the crowd reactions of, of, of the people in, in the audience. You see it more than you think you would. At least I have. You know, I've seen it in the sense of, you know, that's the missing pieces of the story uh, that some people just don't tell. Okay. Uh, and I, and I, don't, I don't think you can tell that in six hours of coverage because there's so much. A wedding day lasts minimum 10 hours, maybe 12 in some cases. So, you know, if you're if the wedding day schedule is 12 hours and you're only there for half of it, you're missing half the story. And well, half the story is the smaller details that make up that bigger story. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, you know, a lot of photographers will talk about the idea of having a second shooter to capture candidates, but I guess what I don't hear as much is specificity. It's just this kind of general <laughs> statement about candidates. I like that you specifically have your second shooter focusing on those interactions. Mm -hmm. um, when we say candidates, we're specifically talking about candidates, interactions between the family members and or the guests and making that a priority. I think that's really interesting. So, uh, and I mean, I know that you have a little bit of experience kind of teaching, speaking a little bit, Tom, and of course doing a podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd, I'd like you to kind of break this down for me, teacher style. Do you have a, like a certain number of key touch points in a day when it comes to like that, almost like an outline in your head of key touch oh, yeah. points in a day when uh, you're trying to tell a story effectively? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty much every major moment in the day. Uh, you know, everything that's standard to a wedding day and then everything in between, you know, we all say we have a flow, right? We all have a, a, a points we have to hit for us. It's you got to capture the details, make sure you're doing, you know, you're, getting the bride's details, getting the groom's details, get the details. You're getting portraits of the guys getting ready and the girls getting ready, whether it's in robes, getting the tuxes on, if that's part of the day, getting the bride dressed, getting the groom dressed, uh, doing solo shots of each bride and groom separately, doing photos with each bride and groom, like each groomsman, each bridesmaid with the bride and groom, uh, and then just going down from there. Uh, you you have your main pain points you have to hit every day, right? So every couple's like, oh, I really want to make sure that we capture, I don't know, uh, pictures with my mom and I, because it's important to me. And that's part of what we do is that we are able to, again, going back to the trust, commitment, communication thing we talked about earlier, that's something you can, you know, gain in that, in that person. Um, I mean, realistically, it's however you feel comfortable approaching a wedding day. I approach it very different than, you know, my, my best friend Nick would, right? I approach it differently than Christora would or, you know, other, like even when Jordan was shooting weddings, you know, different than when Jordan, you know, how Jordan would approach weddings. And even for you too, you know, it, we all approach them differently. And I think that it's really up to the person to, you know, I guess come up with those those touch points that they they need to capture the wedding day in order for them to feel comfortable walking away from the wedding day. There have been many times where I've been on a portrait session or I, I, I finished up portraits and I've turned to my second shooter and I say, 
did we miss anything? I feel like something's really off. And I feel like we don't have enough. And like you, you, I like walking away from the day, coming home and saying, I captured enough of this story to tell it because I worry about, you know, what are they going to come back and say to me? Well, you missed this or you've missed that. So that's where the whole approach to the wedding day and the touch points for me comes in is what if, what in past experiences have couples looked for? And then I base it off that. I really wouldn't say that there's, you know, um, other than seeing the overall vision of the day, uh, you know, there's really no, um, like, you must hit every single one of these points because it really goes into how do you want the story to be told for your couples. But I, I guess I guess the reason I ask for points um, is mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, especially a new photographer, right? They're like, okay, right. I, I get the significance of storytelling. And sure, we're all going to kind of look for a lot of the same interactions you're talking right. about you know the significance of details or getting ready or right. individual portraits or otherwise these are all pretty commonplace but i didn't know if i didn't know if there was i guess maybe in be, those in between moments if you've got a mm-hmm. particular um, set of images that you're looking for in a day and i i guess maybe an even more specific question are you are you basing your photography on say a shot list that the clients give you? Or are you doing an interview beforehand that is driving some of your choices in that photography? Or do you tend to just kind of follow a, a typical template approach to the, to the t- storytelling? That's a good, that's a really good question. I think it's a little bit of both for me, honestly. Um, I think that, you know, every, every wedding that we shoot, uh, whether it's myself or our shooters, um, we set up a client meeting with, we set up a meeting with the couple, a week before their wedding day, we go over their timeline, we go over stuff that they want. And in in our questionnaire, they list anything specific that we make sure we hit. So I, I think, I mean, I guess you can say it's for us, it's kind of both. Like we have our template of shots we get every day, but every wedding, but we also have requested ones that it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like, I want to say situational based. Yeah, sure. And I mean, if you, if we really had to like, you know, for, for the newer photographers, you know, out there in the industry who are saying, you know, okay, tell a story what I need to hit. I would say it's, you know, think of all the major things of the day, right? So you have your, your prep photos, whatever that entails for you, uh, whatever the bride wants, whether it's hair and makeup or details or just getting dressed, you know, some brides will request, I only want you there to, when I put my dress on and later, I don't need photos of me getting hair and makeup done or I don't want my details done. That's fine. Um, I would say that, you know, hit all the major aspects of the day um, and then look for those in-between moments. Like, uh, you know, if, if you're just standing around and the mother and the bride are, which is what I look for, if the mother and the bride are having an interaction and there's a moment there, you can capture it, capture it. Just snap the photo and you, if whether it's good or not, at least you captured it. And you know, hopefully when you go home, it's as good as you hoped it would be. Or maybe right on the spot. Um, looking for those, like... You know, if the bride has a nephew or a niece who's three or four years old and, um, you know, is just having a good time interacting with the bride, that stuff you want to capture, that's what helps tell the story. That's what I look for. You know, I've had a bride whose daughter was, I believe she was three years old at the time, maybe four, and she put the mom's dress on. That's the moment you look for. Like, she just did it. Like, we were, I was hanging in the hallway with a couple of the bridesmaids who I knew. Uh, who were friends of mine who referred us to the couple and I turned around and sure enough the little girl was in the dress and just snapped the photo Um, you know it's those in-between moments that you look for to not only 
better your I mean, better their gallery, but better your eye and your skill and, and finding where can I enhance this gallery? Um, going back to what you were saying, the question, I mean, I really, I just think it's situational for me. I think it really depends on what does the couple want us to do on the day of. One of the questions that I ask uh, the couples in the initial meeting is, what are you looking for on your wedding day? What are you looking for the photographer to capture? And who are you looking for to capture your day? And that allows me to get a sense of, is this going to be a really detailed day where I need to really, you know, step it up and and really capture this day in every single possible detail I can? Or are they just looking for someone to be there to capture the big moments? And if I happen to capture something that's really authentic and in detail, I will. So I guess for me, it's situational. Okay. Yeah. And, and Don, Don was saying on Facebook too, when you miss those moments of interaction, you lose a lot of the feeling of the day. And it's, it's very true. The nuance yes. kind of gets lost and and it does feel a little bit more template if you will, if that's a yeah, word. Yeah, it does. And then Nestor on Facebook was also saying, some call what he's describing photojournalism, others call it storytelling or visual journalism. The more one captures, the more pictures one can put on albums or photo enlargements. And, and I guess I have a question. And by the way, thanks for everybody who has, who has commented in and, and joining the conversation. Really appreciate that. And y'all don't be shy here as we're finishing up to throw any other questions or comments in that you'd like. Um, but to Nestor's point as well, I'm curious about like when you approach storytelling with such an attention to detail and trying to get all those in between moments is there a tendency to to kind of overshoot almost like how many images oh, are yeah. you setting as a as a goal if you will to photograph or, or even not even just to photograph but to deliver to your client at the end of the, end of the day it's a really good question um it's a two-parter uh so the answer to the question is are you overshooting the answer is yes um, but it's okay to overshoot in some aspects. I mean, it's obvious, right? If you're trying to capture every little in-between detail, yeah, you're going to walk home with 5,000 photos just for you. Imagine if you had two shooters doing the same thing. It's like 10 grand. It's ridiculous. But uh, when we return a gallery, I try to do one in every four, maybe one in three. Uh, it depends on the, the gallery. So it depends on the wedding, I should say. So let's just say we shoot 4,000 photos. Between the two of us, we're delivering roughly a thousand images in the final gallery, sometimes a little more depending on what was captured in those 4,000 images. Uh, I've showed up to weddings where we have three shooters because of just the the very the vast size of the wedding. I mean, there could be, you know, we're, we did a, we're doing a, actually we're doing a, um, orthodox indian wedding on saturday of this week um and we have i'm showing up with actually four shooters for the ceremony because wow. of the, the detail that they we just got off a call right before we jumped on the show um and the amount of detail that they need or they want captured it's not even more the couple it's more the parents so that's where i'm preparing for four shooters you know i'm gonna have a lot of photos and i'm gonna be able to tell that story in the detail that they've requested so yes you overshoot uh, it's, that's obvious. And it's guys, it's okay if you overshoot because, uh, well, okay, let me rephrase that. It's okay if you overshoot with a purpose, if you're just clicking away and it's hoping you get something good, that's the bad type of overshooting. But if you're overshooting, you can scroll through your camera or look at the gallery and before you deliver and say, wow, I really captured this in so much detail. That's the good type of overshooting. Um, and yeah, one last question they, actually yes. about that here as we're, we're finishing up when you talk about delivering a thousand images, uh, and I, I think back actually to when I was actively photographing as well, we were probably delivering on average, maybe between six and 800 images to mm -hmm. our clients. But I'm curious if, if you think that we're getting to a place in our industry where, I mean, the attention to detail is so important, but it seems like 
we should also be considering the quality of the images that we're giving. Like if we're delivering a thousand images or even 800 images, are we actually delivering like super high quality a thousand images or 800 images? Or could we call that even further and deliver an even more impactful set of images? Number one, two, right. that these clients are going to actually look through like the, the idea of looking through a thousand proofs. I remember um, when I got married years and years and years ago, our photographer, I think, gave us maybe 150 pictures and they were prints at the time. This is back in the days of film, but right. that's what we got from the day. And I mean, honestly, I would say that it captured the day pretty effectively. Now he wasn't there for the kind of the prep period. So you could have added a few more images for, for that had he been around. Um, but the idea that we're delivering 800 to a thousand, I know some photographers are delivering more 1200, 1500 images. It, it seems like overkill, at least from the outside mm -hmm. looking in, what are your thoughts on that? And, and maybe, a, a, I don't know if there's a better approach to it, but a, right. at least a thoughtful approach to it. I would say it, it's really up to the interpretation of the photographer. Um, yes. Do you risk quality of the images? Absolutely. Um, I mean, when I first started doing this full time, I would deliver 1,500 to 2,000 images, uh, which is a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Now, granted, some of the weddings that you do shoot when you are say, okay, I'm going to deliver a 600 to 800 to a thousand, but you end up delivering double that it's because the wedding specifically called for that as far as what you shot in the day. Like I'm preparing to deliver close to 2000 photos for Saturday's wedding, but I know that going into it, that we have a lot to capture. Um, I, I would say it really depends on, how the photographer captures the day, whether it is overkill or not uh, with delivering. And if you lose the quality of the, of the gallery or not, um, I mean, maybe a better I, way to ask the question is, are we, and I don't know the answer, by the way, this is right. a conversation, but are we, are we actually doing the potentially, because we were talking about earlier the, the significance of focusing on the client, serving the client, right? It's, right. it's about the client at the end of the day. And I understand different right. photographers approach will translate to different numbers of images. Right. I guess the better question maybe is, are we actually doing a service or a disservice by delivering so many images? 100%, like especially if you've got a multi-day event that you're photographing, right. naturally you're going to have a lot more images. And and depending on the, the culture that we're talking about and the way that the wedding is designed, even more so, right? But right. At, at the same time, I just wondering, like if you have 3,000 pictures, is somebody or 2,000 pictures or even 1,500 images, is somebody going to appreciate First of all, are they going to actually look at every one of them? And two, are they going to truly appreciate those at the same level if, if we had as if they, we had delivered, say, half that number? What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's depending on the person. Um, I truly do. I think that if you consistently deliver a thousand images to a client, um, if they sit there and actually look through every single image that you took and you delivered, that's great because, you know, some people want as many photos as they possibly can get out of the photographer. Um, I know that from experience. I know that people request, say, listen, how many photos are you giving us? And I know that hearing from other people that even from feedback from other clients, because I will actually sometimes reach out to the couple and say, hey, thank you so much. You know, they'll, they'll say we went a different direction. I congratulate them and say, you know, super excited you found a photographer you're excited to work with. Is there anything that we could improve on? Um, you know, in our business that would help, would have helped made your decision easier. And sometimes I've gotten back where it wasn't enough images, or it was actually in some cases too many images, which then that thus we brought it back down to at one point it was a thousand, twelve hundred. Now we're 800 to a thousand. So um, I really think it's dependent on the couple. 
Uh, truthfully, I think it's depending on who the person is. And if you can consistently deliver that same amount of images anywhere between the 600 to 1,000 range, it's going to touch upon both avenues of people where sure. ones who want the little amount of photos and the ones who want a lot of photos, it'll it's kind of the happy medium in between the two so that you're not overshooting it, but you're also not undershooting it, if that makes well, sense. Well, and Nestor actually makes an interesting point on Facebook. He said, the more images one gives when shot with purpose, the more they could buy via the galleries we provide them to use. And, and that's actually a, a really great point and kind of a, a good right. counter to this conversation, or I guess potentially my argument about shooting too much is the more that you have, the more opportunity there is in the gallery after the fact to be able to sell, not just to the bride and the groom or whoever's, whoever you're photographing, but also right. to family, to friends that you're photographing on right. that day. There's, there's way more opportunity there to make additional income. So that's definitely an important consideration or point of consideration, I should say. Well, I, I appreciate your perspective, Tom. Um, I appreciate yeah. you making time to share with our listeners today. And and actually, go ahead and give a shout out to your, you have a photography podcast as well, yeah? We do, yes. Uh, me, myself and Christopher Posters, we are uh, the co-hosts of the Capture Crew podcast. You can find us on uh, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts on YouTube, not YouTube, sorry, Capture, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those fun things. Um, all the good website, ones. <laughs> all the good ones. And our website is thecapturecrew.com. Net. Um, but yeah, man, this was great. I hope that people learned something from this. And um, yeah, I'm excited to come back and hopefully talk on another topic one day. I, I think we could talk about a lot, actually. And, and for those of you <laughs> listening, and if you missed it, Tom Russo, R-U-S-S-O, photography.com for Tom's website. And then Tom Russo Photography on Instagram. And Tom, I, I didn't actually pop this up earlier, but for anybody listening in, you can see this on screen or watching live. You can see this on screen. Make sure you go check out Tom's work. It's really, really beautiful work, Tom, as well. So props to you for Thank that. You. But Thank you. We'll link to all of these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for those of you who joined the conversation, commented, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody again soon. Thanks again.